Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Bird of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life. What's up, 168ers? Welcome back to the podcast. We're continuing in our series of episodes about why we do what we do on Sunday morning, or we've phrased it something like that. But the idea of like we're looking at different elements in the worship service, at least Particularly what we do at Clarence Church of Christ is what we're looking at. And we're to the point in uh, the worship service where we come to the sermon, which in and of itself, that term has some interesting characteristics because over time, probably more recently, it's come to have different names attached to it. Historically, it's a sermon. If you're from a more Catholic tradition, it's a homily. Uh, It's really kind of still the same thing, although we have terms like it's the teaching or the message or things like that, which have all become synonyms for this element of the service. But I would say sermon's probably the most typical that gets used for us. I know when I post stuff on uh, online for our stuff that we put up later in the week, I usually put message, but mostly just because I feel like in a secular realm, like YouTube tends to be like message probably makes more sense. Although with a church, people probably still associate it with a sermon, but Anyway, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, the word alone to start with? Um, yeah, I just think, you know, the way it's been culturalized, it's just, it's something people expect. It's something they want to see. Um, you know, from my own experiences, it seems like people look at it, at least the, the term, as far as the term goes, like that, you know, this is a lesson. This is when a person speaks. This is when he teaches us or something like that. Um, just on the word, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you can almost see some cultural adaptations connected to, like, the the words that were used. I mean, to call it, like, a teaching has a lot to do with sort of the TED Talk type of speech or, you know, presentation that we see kind of outside of the church realm. And so you can kind of see there's supposed to be this, like, pithy, practical thing that's happening in this message a lot of what you expect with like a ted talk or something like that um i think some of the probably more production side of how church worship has evolved has somewhat to do with the way that a message is given to it's the audience is not always just localized it's maybe broader especially if you have a church that is like broadcasting their stuff beyond the local people so i think some of that's probably where some of that comes from too but i do think the word wording we use probably does shape how we perceive or interact with that moment. Like if we're expecting it to be a teaching, we're going to expect there to be like, I need to learn something here or I need to be taught something I didn't know before. And if that doesn't happen, then we're disappointed with what happens in that moment. But if that's not how we approach it and it's um, I'm trying to think how else we would, I mean, if, if you think of it more from like a formative uh, sense you're not looking for it to be like this aha moment every time you're looking for it to like maybe have a more gradual impact on how you perceive the world. Um, Or if maybe you look at it from the it's, you know, each week, every time you come to the worship service, you're coming to be regrounded into the story of God compared to the story of life that we are shaped by all the time, whether that's, the American story or the Western New York story in our case or whatever it may be, the the culture around us, again, that's shaping how 
we perceive that time. And so it's kind of like a comparison of, of stories, you know, the, the true story versus the, the story that can have a lot of falsehood associated with it. And not, that's not to say there's not overlap there, obviously, but yeah. So I, I think the terminology we use does impact how we at least interact with that time for sure. But I would say for at least our context, sermon's probably the most typical one that's used. And although we were talking before we started recording, like where that term even comes from, which is interesting, like, and you asked me and I was like, I I've probably looked it up, but I couldn't think off the top of my head where that terminology came from. My guess was that it has a Latin history to it. And it seemed like the best we could find from just looking at the etymology of the word in general is it's really just, you know, it's, it's a speech essentially. It's a oral discourse, if you will. So it's, but it also has the idea of sort of like lining up words. So like the idea of, you could probably say like organizing words in a certain way to convey a certain kind of message or to convey a certain kind of thought or to help people think or direct their thoughts in a certain way, which has to do with like reflection and formation and some of those other things that we've, we've kind of already mentioned. But that kind of gives a little bit of sense of that term and like what is happening in that moment. Whether all those things happen probably doesn't happen every time, but at least it's probably the gist of what happens most often in what we think of as a sermon. You want to touch on that, just the etymology part at all? <clears throat> uh, well, maybe not so much on the etymology, but something that you were mentioning earlier, just about how people look at it. You know, I've gotten the impression in being a member of the church, um, just kind of people are looking at it as a way to, you know, like you were saying, glean a nugget of information out of something to like have something new be put on their radar, like looking at it as more of like, hey, this is my professor and I'm being taught kind of thing. But like, I think Jordan and I are more on the, the same lines, of, especially with what he was talking about, of like looking at it from the more formational approach. It's like, you know, I, you know, when I've done it, the two times that I have, I mean, it's more about. I'm not trying to spiritually feed anybody. I'm going into it expecting that people already have their own disciplines in place, that they're already in the Word, that they're studying, that they're praying, they're doing all those kinds of things. I'm just offering a different perspective or I'm drawing attention towards some kind of principle in the Scripture that gives people guidance or direction in their walk with the Lord. Not necessarily like you know, giving them a nugget of information, but kind of regrounding them in a truth that maybe they need to be reminded of in that moment or, you know, but yeah, some kind of formational aspect, something that could help them down the line. Like, you know, in, in the last sermon that I gave on uh, the third chapter of Daniel, it's the idea of, you know, God is present with us in our stress and our anxiety, and we really find inner peace or peace of mind when we give up trying to control that. So whatever kind of modern-day implications that people face from that kind of reality, they get pointed toward that scriptural principle that you can see in Daniel 3. It's not like, you know, but I also wouldn't be surprised, or I also would be surprised if they said, like, oh, I've never heard of that before. It's like, you know what, yeah, that is right. I think I need to do that more. Um, this is what I've seen in the Word, and this is a great example of that, and I need to be in this, and this is how I need to, you know, approach these kinds of situations. It isn't more of like a teaching thing, it's more of a guidance or a direction thing. That's just kind of how I look at it. Um, you know, I, I don't think that we're like, you know, a factory that 
produces things that just give people what they want. It's not, it's not just about feeding them. It's not not about doing everything for them and you know wiping their mouth and hands when they're done eating. It's about you know setting the expectation that you know this is what you should be doing and we think you are, but here's something to be reminded of and to be encouraged by. So like maybe encouragement is a is a better way of like summing up what I think a sermon is. It's like standing alongside people, giving them a fresh perspective and um, you know, helping them to stay the course in the walk of faith in their lives. Yeah, going off what you were just saying, I think a helpful mental image to maybe add some color to I think what you're saying and I, I agree. I think in a lot of ways a sermon does some of the same things, and this is going to sound weird to compare it, I think, but it does a lot of the same things that like a commercial does on, on radio or TV. But essentially what a commercial usually is doing is it's, there may be some new elements that they're introducing, but a lot of times they're trying to literally sometimes capitalize on what you already know, but they're trying to bring you into a story of how your life could be different if this thing was added or subtracted or you embraced it differently, something along those lines. And I think a lot of times that's what a sermon is ultimately trying to do is it's trying to take God's word and bring it up to the lives of the people hearing, you know, what's being said and saying like, you already know this about life. Have you thought about life, you know, from this angle though, or have you thought about maybe displacing this thing with this practice or something along those lines. So it's not like all new, like it makes it relevant because you're like, Oh yeah, that is nor that is normal life. And scripture is speaking to normal life, but it scripture invites you into the story of God's life to reframe your life. And, and a lot of times that's what commercial is doing. I mean, they're doing it from a product standpoint usually, but it's still sort of the same idea, but I think that might give some color to like what, the process I think that's happening often in a sermon and even like in a commercial, you can have multiple sort of steps that are even offered. Like, you know, go to this website, click here, do this. Like those are three things right there. That's like, that's three sub points. Like you could think of in a sermon where there's like three like directives that might be kind of, kind of given in a sermon, but sermons can have one, two, three, you know, often many points. Um, and there's maybe some debate about like how many points should be in the sermon or not in the sermon. Um, but sometimes that's dictated by the text itself. Cause if you're going through a certain passage of scripture and to maybe do it any sort of justice, it's hard to divorce it from multiple points. Um, but scripture is also life giving and a, a living thing in the fact that you can approach a scripture multiple times and come away with different things that it impacts your life because it's going to hit you differently in 2022 than it might in 2024 or two months from now or whatever it may be. Like life is always changing. Your perspective of life is always changing. It's not that scripture is changing, but how it's implemented or adapted or applied or taken into your life or you're taken into the life of God's life that you see in scripture that's always evolving and changing as we mature as followers of Jesus, as we uh, develop and becoming more Christ-like. Yeah, I mean, I I think what you're saying is good. It's like, 
you know, with the commercial analogy, it's it's kind of laying a new lens to look at reality for the people that are there listening to the sermon. It's like, this is your life, you know this is your life, but have you considered that your life could be different with the addition of Jesus or the Spirit in it, like, in this way? Um, and that's also not to say, like, you know, to add to it, it's not saying that a sermon can't end up actually teaching somebody or putting some something new on their radar, but I think that's more of like um, a bonus effect. You know, it shouldn't be the the the, the uh, reason it's crafted, and it shouldn't be the reason it's sought out. It's more of yeah, like we're saying, it's more of the the guidance, the direction, um, and the advertisement of Jesus. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of the way we're, we approach a sermon will probably dictate how we, what we come away with it from. Like if we're expecting there to be an exposition on like every Greek word behind the English translation that we're reading or hearing of, of a scripture passage, um, that stuff's good. Like I'm not, it's, it's meaningful. It's needed. Like all that needs to be there for us to take in the message of scripture. But, that moment is not meant to just hold just pure teaching of information. Like obviously that has to be there. Like you're articulating, but like I said, even in the analogy of a commercial, like they are introducing new things within it. Like there does need to be some like educational moment to help them connect it to um, everyday life. Cause the whole point is like trying to push you sort of further down the line of the story they're inviting you into. And so, yeah, there is a, educational or teaching moment or an expositional moment where you're trying to help people see things in maybe a broader light or something maybe they haven't noticed before. Um, but that's the interesting thing about like a sermon, like, cause in the audience you have people from multiple like places along their journey of following Jesus. So for some people it's going to be like, Oh yeah, I've heard that before. For other people it's going to be like the aha moment of, I didn't know that. I didn't never connected those two things together. I didn't know that's what that word meant in that fuller sense. Um, and this is where I think there, there's, you can't ever get away from the formational side of it because if it's only about the aha moments, you're never going to catch everybody in the room. Right. So for there, there to still be some meaning to that moment. I think we find that in that it's formative in that at the least it's calling us back to or reminding us of what our life is supposed to be grounded in or the guiding point of our life or what we're supposed to be aiming toward that that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it may not be like, Oh, that was revolutionary in my thinking today, but it may be like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm supposed to be called to or a, a kind of like a recommitment to, to the, the thing you say you believe, and maybe it's become, a little bit distant in, in how you approach everyday life. Yeah. I, um, you know, it reminds me of, uh, some of the reading I'm doing for grad school, just like three major questions that I think, you know, especially this kind of sermon or formational stuff gets down to. It's just about like, who is God? Who are God's people? And how are God's people supposed to live in the world? And, that kind of encompasses the the aha moments as well as the formational aspect of you know recommitment or you know general commitment and and things like that i mean i think that's just a simple way of looking at it but yeah i think one other thing to kind of follow on that and even what i was saying a little bit ago is i think if you'd like pull like you know take 10 people after a sermon was given like what stood out to you from it and i 
you might get somewhat of a general similar answer, but my guess is there's different points or different little segments along that message that are going to stand out to different people because their, their life is in a different space than the nine other people. And so they're going to say, like, Oh, you, you know, you made this, this, you said this sentence or you maybe use this phrase or whatever it may be that that stood out to them. Whereas like someone else may be like, he, they said that. <laughs> I didn't catch that because, but the the thing is, is you just weren't looking or ready to receive that maybe in your life at that moment. It just wasn't where you were, you were taking in the message. And again, I think this is where I think we should be encouraged by this because it shows that scripture really is this life giving, uh, you know, it's, it's not a dead document. It's, you know, it's God's word isn't dead. It's alive and it's always bringing life to us as we encounter it. And it's in, in the, in the, there's, it's even more amazing that it can touch like 10 different people or impact 10 different people in 10 different ways at the same time while not going away from the like overall message or focal point of it, which is pointing to Jesus and his life. So I think that's just pretty amazing and it shows a lot of what scripture is that that kind of thing can happen in and through the moment of a sermon. You have any other thoughts that come to mind about the sermon and the role it plays kind of on Sunday morning? I have one other one, I think, but no, I don't think I have anything else. Yeah. I think the last one, and we've kind of already touched on this without kind of directly saying it, but at least I would say within our church, this is probably historically accurate to say, but the message or the sermon usually leads toward an invitation of some kind. Like what's sort of the overall action point. And, um, it's kind of twofold because on one hand it's, it's calling people to submit their life to Jesus. And if someone has never taken that initial step, that's an invitation to be immersed and baptized in the Christ. So there's that. But if someone has already done that, it's an invitation to, you know, where does someone need to confess a sin? Where does someone need to give up this, uh, habit in order to take on this new rhythm that Christ is calling them into? Um, and that's still surrendering to Christ. It's just not that initial step of, you know, being baptized in the Christ, but it's the being maturing and, and being sanctified and all those, those things kind of happening in the process. But they're both surrendering to Christ is, is my point. That's, that's the invitation that's there. It's just get a different point for different people in their life. And there is an interesting, if you look historically, this doesn't necessarily strictly play out across you know, our church or churches of our heritage with, uh, churches of Christ or Christian, independent Christian churches. But there is a historic connection between what's called like word and table. And so the idea of what is like the idea, the, the idea essentially is like preaching to the table. So like preparing people in the message point or the sermon to prepare people to commune with God and communion or the Lord's Supper, whichever term you want to use there. And those two have, historically been tied together like i said although within certain traditions it's not as strictly connected where some will do communion before the message or or not Um, but there is a historical connection of those two things and i think there's some formative things that happen there because the the sermon is calling you toward the life of christ and it's in communion where you're reminded of the the sacrificial life of Christ and the way he served others and that's the life you're called into and it and all that shapes and forms a person into following Jesus in a deeper way. So I think that's a, it's just an interesting a tidbit I think of how how those are connected and um personally I think there's there's meat there to to doing it in that order. 
is there like a, here's the verse that says that not necessarily, but I do think you see connections of that throughout scripture, just in a theological sense. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all, but if not, it's fine. No, I think the only other thing I have to say is, um, Jordan's sermons are my favorite. Thanks. But <laughs> I think every person who, um, preaches a sermon is probably their worst critic of, I mean, I've, I've heard it recently just in different podcasts and things I listen to where someone makes a point of, you know, the one I thought would be the best sermon ever was the one that like, you know, there was like no, uh, like little feedback ever on it. And then the one you think you like bombed is like, everyone's like, Oh, I, this stood out to me or this stood out to me or this was helpful. And it's like, I, I mean, ultimately it points to like God's the one, you know, moving. his spirits moving in and through people and it's, you're just helping connect scripture, you know, God's word into the life of people. And so it's a little, it's, it has nothing really to do with us in the end, as much as God is uh, giving us the privilege of helping communicate his word to, to people. So yeah. um, the two analogies I've heard is megaphone and extension cord, not the source of power, but what is said can be used to help good. empower God's people. Yeah, that's good. All right, we're going to transition into our 168 debate. And today we're going to be offering up our Mount Rushmore of electronic technologies. So this could be software or hardware. Like, what are the four electronic technologies that, say, are important in your life or, like, you like having in your life on a daily basis, like at this moment, like obviously this stuff's always changing, but like what, what's the Mount Rushmore for right now for you of electronic technologies? Uh, well, some low hanging fruit. Maybe we could do like one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four, like back and forth. Okay. So my first one would be low hanging fruit, uh, would be a smartphone. Uh, I really can't get away from using it. Um, it's necessary. Uh, I can't always access everything that I need from my computer when I'm away from my computer. So that's why a mini computer in my pocket is very helpful. And, um, yes, that, that is one of them. That is one of them. It's necessary. Yeah. yeah I, I think if I had to like put a top, you know, Mount Rushmore of them doesn't necessarily, I think, have to have a particular order, but I think if, yeah, I think if I had to rank like a top of my Mount Rushmore, it would, probably be similar to yours like my my phone but i i would almost have to do like a 1a 1b of like my computer and phone because on one hand like you said this allows you to do stuff like just on the fly everywhere but there's definitely times where like this is not what i would prefer to use for something and it's like if i don't have access to my computer like you know like this computer it's very, I mean, again, first world problems, but like it's, it's just not as easy. It's, it's more frustrating to try to do some stuff. Um, I have fat fingers, so like pinching, you know, screen pinching, whatever. Like doing anything on a phone can be a lot harder when it comes to do, uh, manipulating like graphics or things like that that I might do. Um, so yeah, but I would probably say like my second one would be my computer for sure. Just. Yeah, but I think it would almost be like a 1A, 1B kind of a thing to some degree. Cause I know every time I, I, I leave my computer accidentally at home, 
It's like a, uh, <laughs> like, I'm not sure how I'm going to do the things I'm going to do without it kind of thing. But what's your second one? I, it was going to be my computer. So, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I can do a lot of, um, you know, work stuff on there, like video editing, video rendering. Um, you know, you can also do simpler things like emailing or typing up, uh, you know, assignments and stuff like that. But, also, I'm a gamer, and uh, my PC is very good for that, as I built it myself. And um, that is my main hobby, and I enjoy it. And uh, I can't really get the same experience on any kind of mobile device that I can on that machine. So as it's my favorite hobby, and that is the device that allows me to best utilize or experience that hobby, that is my number two. All right. I want to say, like, device for the third. What do you want to do your third one since we bounced back and forth? Um, Either way. All right. So now it's going to get, uh, now it's a little tougher. I, I know. Would, I'm to the same place. <laughs> uh, I would probably say number three would be a microwave. Okay. That was, that's, that wasn't, okay. Wasn't where I thought you were going, but okay. Um, just for the main, main thing of just like, even just reheating something. Yeah, especially like hot liquids like coffee that's, you know, gone room temperature or something because I've left it alone or um, even if it's some like quick snack like popcorn or like, you know, microwavable breakfast stuff. I mean, I'm not really a huge breakfast guy, but, you know, if I do do it, it's usually like a Jimmy Dean something or it's like a French toast sticks type thing that are easily microwavable in like a minute and 30. So it's like I, I, that's why I hate breakfast is because of the cleanup. Especially like eggs. So different and, than any other. No, meal. it's, it's entirely different. And that's because, you know, unless you're cooking eggs in a very specific way, like, even if it's nonstick, they still flake. It's disgusting to clean up. It's really gross when I see them swirl around in my sink and it's like, I just, I, ugh, I just don't like it. I don't like it. Unless I make an omelet, then, you know, it's a little different, but. You know, with, with you know, if I make dinner, if I make like a hamburger or a steak or something like that, yeah, the pan gets greasy. You know, rinse it off to cool it down. I can wipe it off right away, be done, have it ready for the next time. But eggs are like, you know, <laughs> for like an hour for me. I don't like it, so I I need a microwave um, for that reason for breakfast stuff. Okay, I'm gonna stick with the. Not like, I don't know what you call it, like more entertainment, I guess, oriented stuff. But, but I, I give you props for going outside of entertainment world to go to the microwave. That's a, still a solid choice. I was gonna say my TV and be sort of the ugly American with saying that. Like I almost, I don't even don't, I really even don't want to admit that that would be up that high. But the reality is it's just part of how we engage life to some degree in our culture and and it's like to say a tv is like odd too because it's like i can do some of the same things on this device now or this device now that my tv can do so they all overlap to a large degree so like to some, some of this could be like if i had to only pick like one like which one would i pick like i i could probably ditch the actual tv to have access to something else but the size and all that stuff anyway but i'm not even picking that so um i'm gonna go with uh, software for this one. And I was gonna go with something like iMovie, cause I've come to use that a whole lot in the last 
you know, two years with COVID and everything. Like I never used it before, but then like having to learn to use it for, for church work and stuff, like it's become something I easily can do with. Although now I'm just thinking of another one I should add in. This is going to become harder to, to strip stuff out. Um, I wanted to say that just because I've used it a lot, but I'm going to go with YouTube because that has become something I never thought I would use as much as I use. Like it used to just kind of be there like if you wanted to look something up. And I'm always amazed that there's tutorials for like everything. Like who makes a tutorial for this on YouTube and puts it up there? But it, I mean, I've heard it say like it's the number two search engine next to Google because even though it's owned by Google, but if you want to search about something, if you don't find it on a web page specifically, Google's or uh, YouTube's where you seem to go. Um, so it, it serves that way, but it also has become in a lot of ways a very much alternative form of television watching and not just in like you can watch videos on a device that's not like through an antenna or cable or something like that. But actual programming has very much shifted to being accessible that way. And not, and I'm not talking about like an NBC or ABC or CBS or Fox kind of show being available on YouTube. I'm talking about like independent creators creating content that my viewing shifts to, you know, consuming if you, for lack of a better term, their content other than something that would be usually broadcast through your typical means like a cable or over the air network. And so like, I've noticed this just in the last couple of years of being, that's been the case for me. Like I subscribed to all these different people that put out content and you know, like every week. And so that's where I you know engage stuff. And some of it's the on demand quality of it. Some of it, it's better quality. Some of it, um, there's not nearly the amount of commercials. Like there's a bunch of stuff that has definitely changed it, but I've noticed that is one thing for me that's changed. And I notice for a lot of people that has changed, like that's where they consume a lot of their just entertainment content in general. Um, so it's definitely shifting and moving the, the TV world around. So I'm going to say YouTube is my number three. And for number four, I'm torn right now between, do I say my drone, which is a new toy for me, <laughs> Or do I use an app? Cause I feel like I haven't done the software part. I mean, YouTube's kind of that, but, um, so I'm torn between the drone or something like Twitter or something like that. Cause like Twitter's become very much like a sort of like the news outlet for me. Like it's like my newspaper. I mean, for, I'm the, you know, older millennial, I guess, but like, I mean, I was a sucker, like, if I went to my grandparents' house, like, I would read the newspaper. Like, I've been kind of, like, the old soul in that sense before, but, like, I'm not going to pay for a newspaper now. Like, it's it's already behind by the time you get it. Like, I get it. Like, times have changed. But, like, Twitter has very much become that, like, go-to check about news thing for me. And, like, even honing it to the, the kind of things I want to know about from the sources I want to know about. But, so I want to say that or the drone, but I'm going to go with Twitter for now, just because it's been part of my life for longer, and I'm going to go with that. It's not that I know everybody's choice of, like, social media thing, but um, I'm going to go with Twitter. And I'll save the extra carving space on Mount Rushmore <laughs> for my drone, for or swap it for another one later and re-carve carve the face. Sounds good. Um, my last one would probably be, it's technically software and a device, but Google Home. For sure. For you, this is true, yes. Um, just because, I mean, you know, none of it's necessary. I mean, like, I could live without all of it, but it is nice to, um, 
there's so many different things you can do in terms of like, you know, if you want to make sure you're going to bed at a certain time, you can have your lights automatically turn off at a certain time. That way, if you lose track of time, you know, it's like what midnight or whatever. And Hey, I have to be up early tomorrow. I got to go to bed or whatever. Um, it's also nice to be able to, you know, if the lights are off before you come back and it, you know, it gets dark at like, uh, 1 PM in East or Western New York, and the sun's down and all your lights are off, you can just tap a button on your phone and have all the lights off. the lights off home. at 1 p.m. No, I mean, the sun is down at 1 p.m. It's an exaggeration. <laughs> We're not in Alaska. <laughs> um, Maybe and then, I mean, same thing with uh, thermostat stuff as well. Um, there's all kinds of different stuff you can do. Um, so... Just for the convenience aspect. But you say that now until Mr. Whispers hacks into you and starts talking to you. Help. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's all mine. All right. Well, that's our 168 debate. Hope you enjoyed our just thinking through the top four like electronic technologies that we think are important or valuable, I guess, in our life right now. And beyond that, uh, hopefully our discussion about the sermon and the role it plays within worship and, and how um, we all come to that moment and what it can do to help us become more like Jesus. We hope that has been beneficial to you and helped you think uh, deeper and further about following Jesus and how you worship him on a Sunday morning and how that carries into the rest of your week as well. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. See you later, 168ers.